0: This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Scott Hamilton is a a familiar name. If you like figure skating, he's a familiar name in figure skating. And Scott Hamilton was the world champion in 1981. He was the Olympic gold medalist in 1984. He's a little bitty guy. He and his wife, Tracy, have four kids. He's a committed believer. And for 25 years, he really has been the voice of American skating. You would always see him on the, on the Olympics. You would, you would hear him and, and see his commentary. He's always excited, always very enthusiastic. He got replaced in 2018 by Terry Lipinski and Johnny uh, Ware. And New York Times wrote an article about that. said, don't feel sorry for Scott. He will bounce back. He said it's a habit with him, bouncing back. Scott, by his own admission, says that in his career, he has fallen 41,600 times in his skating career. He said in 41,600 times he has gotten up in his skating career. And he said it's a muscle you have to really build into your psyche, and that's the one that reminds you to just get up. As we're continuing our series on Accelerator, the Process of Progress, I want to talk this morning about sticking with progress, God's glue. Now there's some tips we've taken from this book. We've been reading Atomic Habits and uh, it's a great book. It's got some great practical ideas. If you're making changes or making progress, there's some great ways to stick to it. Now, the first one is, is making habits. They call it uh, stack them, track them, and make them invisible or visible. Stack them. What do you mean stack them? What they've determined is, and this is, scientists and psychologists have always looked at this, is that what action can lead to other actions? For example, you ladies know that if you buy the dress, you need to get the, shoes there we go see that's like that's that's uniform right there you you've got to have the shoes and then the purse and so there's the, all these add-on guys know if you get the gun you need the bag you need the gear you need the all the other stuff that goes with it and so one action can lead to other actions so if you're changing habits or actions one of the best ways to do that is add them to another action for example when I get up in the morning I know some of you think that I wake up, my hair is combed, there's an angel choir outside my bedroom door. That's, that's really not happening. When I get up in the morning, I go and I get coffee. Coffee is the first thing I get. You say, well, Alan, that's not spiritual. I don't care. I need coffee in the morning. <laughs> and I get coffee and then it's coffee and I go immediately to uh, my prayer time and my Bible reading time. And so if you're wanting to add something, some people, uh, they, they add behaviors to say, so as soon as I do this, I do this. For example, if you want to have a Bible reading time, maybe you make it your morning ritual that after I get coffee or after I have breakfast that I take a few moments and read my scriptures. You're adding it to something. It's called habit stacking. The next one is just simply tracking. Keeping a, a record maybe on a calendar of when you, when you complete a task or a habit that you've set up for yourself. I track certain things I do and I'm able to look down and what happens is you want to build a chain and you don't want to break the chain. And you say, well, I've already broken the chain. Well, just don't do it two days in a row. But being able to track it and keep a record of it is actually helpful in helping you stay on track. And then when you get discouraged and go, I don't know, you're like, no, I've stayed with it so far, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give up. Another one is make the, make the habits or make the actions invisible or visible when you make them invisible this is a great way to break bad habits so maybe you got a bad habit one lady wrote that she had a, a she and her husband loved pringles potato chips in fact they loved pringles potato chips way too much so now they keep all the pringles locked in their car on the outside where it's cold So if they have to get Pringles, they have to get out of the house, they have to put a coat on, they have to walk to the car, unlock the car, get the Pringles out and eat the Pringles. How many of you know sometimes on a cold night, you're like, I'm skipping the Pringles. There's no way I'm gonna eat, you make it invisible. One guy watches too much television, so he took the batteries out of his remote. Now that would be a hassle, wouldn't it? You're gonna watch television, you pick up the remote, it's dead. You're like, "Uh, I've gotta go get batteries. And that's a, so you just make it a little bit more difficult. And if you can begin to do that, or you make it, you make it visible. Some person I, I've heard said that Bandy said they have their running clothes. They want to run every morning, so they have their running clothes, everything right there. So as soon as they wake up, it's right there. Some people actually sleep in their running clothes. So when they get up, it's easier for them to, to just. Follow through with a new habit. So there's some good tips you can learn there. How can you make it visible? How can you make it invisible? Stack it onto something, track it. But there's another tip that the book didn't talk about, but I'm going to talk about this morning because it's a biblical tip. And it's it's called perseverance. Scott Hamilton referred to it. He called it a a muscle you have to build into your psyche, your mindset, and that is the one of just getting up. And so perseverance... Boy, is key. I, one of the best examples I heard was a, a, a kindergarten teacher up in the Texas Panhandle. And on a cold, cold day, the kids are all getting ready to leave and she's got this little boy she's having a hard time getting his cowboy boots on. And she's, she's pushing and he's pulling and pulling. And finally, I mean, she broke a sweat by the second boot. And finally, she gets him on and stands up and he goes, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. She said she almost cried. So she had to pull them off and he's now he's pushing and she's pulling and, and they get them on the right feet and he puts them on and stands up and he goes, these aren't my cowboy boots. <laughs> she says she had to bite her tongue to keep from getting in his face and screaming, why didn't you tell me so? But she sits down and graciously helps pull his cowboy boots off and as soon as she gets them off, he stands up and tells her, he said, they're my brother's cowboy boots, my mama made me wear them this morning. <laughs> She didn't know whether she should laugh or cry. (laughs) So she helps him get the cowboy boots back on. They finally get him back on. She's putting his little coat on him. He's getting ready to walk to the door. She said, she said, where are your mittens? He said, I stuck them in the toes of my cowboy boots. (laughs) She's up for parole this year. It's going to (laughs) be, that that takes some perseverance Everyone say, God bless all the kindergarten teachers and all the teachers that we have out there, period, because we appreciate all that they do. It takes perseverance. But perseverance is a trait that you're, that you're going to hear. You don't just hear it from athletes. You hear it in life, and you hear it from God. I call it God's glue, perseverance. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, who had left Judaism and received Jesus as their Messiah, as their Lord and Savior. And when they did that, they got a lot of heat, a lot of pressure. They lost their goods. They were ostracized. It was hurting them financially. It was hurting them from a community standpoint. Families were disowning them. And the writer of Hebrews writes to them in Hebrews 10 and says this, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. So that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Now, the context was, he was telling him, don't throw away your faith in Jesus. It's got a great reward to it. And then he said, you need to persevere. To persevere means to stay with it, to stick, to stay up under it, to not give up. He said, you need to be able to do that. He said, so that there will be a rich reward. When you've done the will of God, you might receive. And so it's telling us that in life, there are so many things that we simply have to stay with. A number of years ago, I, I had a, a trainer who uh, goes here to the church. His name is Tyler Hobson. Tyler is a great trainer, but Tyler is a vicious trainer. And when I was training with him, he would have my least favorite exercise. And it was an exercise where he would, he would get a, a stopwatch. He said, I'm going to time you for a minute and 30. I need you to just do the exercise. Now, when I'm doing exercises, I, I like exercises where I know I've got 10 or 12 reps and repetitions. And then I'm done. So I hit about nine or 10 and I'm hurting. I'm like, I only got a couple more. What's tough is when you don't know when it's going to end and nothing ever lasts as long as a minute and 30 seconds when you are in pain. And so it it would be so difficult to do that. But one of the things that Tyler was great at, he was a great encourager. And so as you're persevering, as I was pushing through, he would keep saying, don't quit. Come on, you're almost there. You can do this. You can get this. And so this morning, this message is one of those messages because all of us in life have to persevere. So my job this morning is to be the mean trainer in your life telling you not to quit, not to give up, to push in there because if you'll persevere, there is a great reward. One of my favorite examples of this is in the, in the Bible is a guy named David. David was a man who was, he was anointed by the prophet Samuel when he was like 18 or 19 years old, young man, teenager. He just, and uh, he was anointed to be the next king. The only problem was Israel already had a king. And his name was Saul, and he was not giving up that throne. In fact, he hated David. He tried to kill him. And for seven years, David just ran as a fugitive. Other men joined him. Men who were in debt, men who were distressed, they joined him, formed a a real fighting band. They were like a nomadic group that just would hit, and they would hit towns and cities of Israel's enemies, and then they would uh, take the spoils. So they had all their families. So you can imagine this whole group of men, 600 men and their families just roving around. But they found a headquarters in a place called Ziklag, which is a horrible sounding name, but that was their headquarters. And they went away for a little bit, to do a raid, and when they came back, this is what they encountered. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day, and the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters also taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud till they had no strength left to weep. And David's two wives had been captured, Anohim of Jezreel, Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Amalek, bring me the ephah. That was a priestly garment. And Abathar brought it to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them? He, the Lord answered him, he will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Now when I, I see this story, it's, a, it's really the it's story, it's a, you talk about a guy who had an opportunity to quit, David could have quit. He could have looked at the situation and goes, this is ridiculous. I've been just running around, I'm trying to do the right thing. It was God, you anointed me to be the king, and yet the king's trying to kill me. And he could have been so upset He'd experienced loss. And if you've ever experienced loss, and almost all of us have, it can be devastating. It can just gut you. He could have been angry at God. He could have blamed God. You know, I just lost my wife and kids, and I don't know what's happening to them. Not only have I lost them, but I've also, all my possessions have been burned. All my stuff is gone. You know, you you'd have a loss like that, boy, it'll, it'll take the wind right out of you. And David could have quit right there, but he didn't. But then he had another problem. The very men he tried to reach are now trying to kill him. They were bitter. Have you ever heard the old adage, hurting people hurt people? There's a lot of truth to that. And these men were hurting, and they were were talking of of killing David. And so David has two great eyes. He could have looked at them and goes, look, I'm done with you guys. You're on your own. Just forget it. He could have walked away. He could have abandoned God. He could have, he could have quit on God. He could have quit on his men. He could have quit on his family. He didn't quit. I like what David did next. The Bible said that David, it, he, he found strength in the Lord his God. One translation said he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He found strength in God. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask David exactly what he did. Because can you imagine all that pressure on you, all that junk in your life, and David found strength in this? Man, that's not easy. I said, I don't know what David did. Here's what what I'm guessing he did. First thing is, David was good about recounting all the things that God had done for him. Remember before he fought Goliath, he told Saul, he said, there was a lion that came after my sheep. There was a bear that came after my sheep, and I killed them. And the same God who helped me kill the lion and the bear, he he will help me kill this Philistine. And so David would recount what God had done. Here's Alan's guess. I guess that David is starting to recount, God, you've never abandoned me. You've never left me. You've always helped me, and you're going to help me in this situation. The second thing I think David did was, David was a worshiper of God. He just had a worship lifestyle. He was praising God and worshiped the Psalms. Most of our Psalms were written by David. They were often sung or just simply chanted, but they were inspired. And you hear David talking about, Lord, you're my rock, you're my strength, you're my fortress. And when everyone turns against me, I know God is on my side. And David was just worshiping God and, and reminding himself who God was in his life. And then here's something I know David did. So how do you know? I, I, I'm just telling you I know. And when you get to heaven, you can ask him, but I know he did this. I know he had to turn his eyes from the problem to God because you can't get strength looking at the problem. You can't get strength if you're constantly just, in, oh gosh, I've lost and what's happening to my wife and what's happening to my kids. and what's hap- what, I'm, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You can't get strength that way. So somewhere along the line, David had to change his perspective and David had to begin to say, God, I, and this is what I love about David. I love his mindset. David says this, David knew this, he knew God was good and he knew God was good to him, that God would help him. And so you, you see David, I bet you he's finally like, Lord, I, Lord we, I know you and I together, we can get this stuff done. Lord, I thank you that you are bigger than this situation and you see it in his prayer. When he prays, his prayer is not like, oh, God, what is happening? His prayer is like, Lord, do you want me to go after them? It's an aggressive prayer. Because David knew this, that if God is for you and nobody can be against you, and if God is on your side, you're going to come through this. His mindset was such he found strength. Now, I'll tell you the rest of the story. David had, had one-third of his fighting force drop out. 200 men quit on him and said, we can't do it, we're too tired. He kept going anyway. He found those Amalekites. He beat them badly. He and they said 400 escaped on a camel. He took all their stuff. He got his wives back, got his kids back. Got everybody else's wives and kids and then took all the Amalekites stuff and got all the stuff is back. Can I tell you if if God's on your side, ain't nothing going to stop you and hold you down. And gave, David came through in that situation. But here's the thing. David had a chance to quit, but he didn't quit. David had some of God's glue in him. He had perseverance. How can you develop a perseverance mindset? How Because, listen, I, I, I can tell you that in life, you're going to experience loss, and you're going to experience people problems. And sometimes they come together. You say, Alan, I thought this was going to be a positive message. It is a positive message. But honestly, life is just, listen, we say, well, I was just kind of hoping after I became a Christian that everything was going to be perfect. I got to help you with that. Not everything is going to be perfect. There will come a day when everything is perfect. There will come a day when there's no more crying and no more sighing and no more dying, but you got to die to get there. We need you here right now. That's heaven. You're not there yet. You're not in the sweet by and by. You live in the nasty now and now. And so what we have to do is learn to persevere in this situation down here. So here's how you can begin to develop that, what Scott Hamilton calls a muscle. It's that perseverance muscle. The first thing is, the mindset is, life is not a journey, it's a race. I know everyone likes to say, it's my journey. You see it every day, this is my journey. Join me on my journey. Joy and I sometimes go down to the waterway at the Woodlands, and we take a walk. And we walk around, it's pretty. You know, they light it up at night, and there's the water, and it's all nice and pretty. That is a journey. That's not a race. I don't look at Joy and go, okay, we've got to wrap this up really quick, let's go. It's, it's a journey. A race is strenuous. A race is, is more challenging. I, I'm going to give you a, a passage of Scripture, and I, I'm going to give you this from the book of Hebrews again. We're going to look at this, and there's three things we're going to pull out of this. The first one is, look, it's a race. Therefore, since we are surrounded... So again, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people under pressure, and he's saying, he talks about their race. He said, it's a race. It's a, and whether a race has some strenuous to it. Journeys are are kind of meandering, but races are strenuous, and you run it to win. It's a a different mindset. Years ago, when when Matt was about eight years old, we had him involved in a cross-country team. He was pretty good at it, he had some potential. But he would race and he would race. He raced kids from all over the city and we'd go into Houston and race. And one day I could just tell the pressure was getting to him. So I looked at Matt and I said, Matt, have fun today. That's the wrong thing to tell Matt. Because Matt had been, he'd typically been coming in in the top five almost consistently. He was a good, he was a good runner. But that day, Matthew, I'm like, here come the runners and Matt's not there. Finally, I think Matt comes in about like 11th or 12th. He's smiling. He's not strenuous at all. I went, what's up? He went, you said have fun? <laughs> I said, next week your mom will bring you. That is not good. <laughs> See, Joy went to practices and, and Joy knew how good he was. Joy knew what his potential was. And so Joy, Joy looked at him the very next race and Joy said, top three. And Matt looked at him what? She said, top three. I know what you can do. And Joy, but right before the race, had overheard this other parent who was on our team. Yeah, you know, why does every team have some loudmouth parents? <laughs> what, what is that? It's like, a, it's like a, a law. Every team must have a loudmouth. And this woman said, told her son Kyle, You beat Matt Clayton. And Joy heard it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> Joy, Joy looks over at Matt. She goes, top three and beat Kyle. (laughs) Matt goes, what are you going to do to me if I don't? Joy says, I don't know, but I'll think of something. (laughs) So Joy would go to different places while he's running. And this time he would come around a, a turn and there's mama going, come on, come on, come on. He finished second. And, and, he beat Kyle like a rented mule, which is, uh, which is really good. But we knew his potential. We didn't ask him to do something he couldn't do. We knew he could do it. When the writer of Hebrews is saying, you got to run the race. Listen, your race is not someone else's race. Forget the comparisons. you got to run the race God has for you. And when you run it, run loose and light. He said, get rid of the weights and the sins. He said, the weights will slow you down. When you're running, you need to run light. And when you're running, you need to run loose. He said, get rid of the weights and the sins. Aren't you glad? He didn't say, if you can. He said, throw them off. We've got the potential, the capacity. This was written to born-again believers. You don't know what strength is in you. And he said, run loose, run light. And they begin to run loose and light. And, uh, and that group finished. Now, here, here's another thing. For the joy set before them. What's the joy set before you? Now, that's it. A, that's a, he said, Jesus... He used Jesus as our example. He said, for the joy set before Jesus, Jesus knew. He knew that his going to the cross, he knew that his dying, he knew that his being raised from the dead would open a doorway for everyone to have a relationship with God. You see, Jesus already had one. He didn't need it for himself. He did that for us. And he knew by what he would endure, that it would pave the way for other people to be free. You and I, we were the joy set before him. What a wonderful thing. So he had that joy. So he said, for the joy that was in front of him, he endured. Now, my question is, what's the joy in front of you? If you're trying to make changes in your life, you need to look down the road and go, what's the, where's the joy in this? For example, if you're trying to lose weight, you're like, I'm going to lose weight so I look good in a bathing suit. Well, that's okay. But you're going to reach a point in life where you don't really care if you look good in a bathing suit or not. So when you're 70, you don't even care if you look good in a bathing suit. So here's the deal. Why don't, instead, of we, instead of saying, hey, I want to lose weight or I want to adopt a healthy lifestyle so I look good in a bathing suit, how about I want to adopt a healthy lifestyle so I can be there to walk my daughter down the aisle, so I can be there for my kids, so I can be there for my grandkids, so I can be there in the end. I want to be healthy. That's the joy set before me so I can enjoy it. You see, it's a bigger picture. Now, let's talk about going to church. Here people go, well, I guess we got to go to church. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the people who are not here. <laughs> but a lot of times, well, we've we got to go to church. My, my mom grew up in a single-parent home. Her mother, her mother was... Uh, just a strong, she was a she was a strong Baptist woman. She was a Shiite Baptist. She was a serious Baptist. I mean, and she meant she was, but she in, impressed my mom. And my mom met the Lord at a young age. And my mom influenced my dad, and my dad got saved. And my dad took my sister and I to church. And my sister and I grew up in church, found a relationship with the Lord. We take our kids to church. They've grown up. They have a relationship with the Lord. They're taking their kids to church. You see what can happen? It's not I just go to church. It's not I just read my Bible, I'm impacting generations to come and changing the way things look in my family. I'm making a difference here. Because when it's all said and done, to be able to say, thank God, my family knows the Lord is the richest thing that can ever happen to you in life. Who for the joy set before them. What's the joy set before you? Here's the last one. You got to keep looking at the right things. If you're looking at how hard it is, if you're looking at how difficult it is, it's like I said with David, David had to turn his eyes from the problem to God because you can't get strength looking at the problem. I'm not saying ignore the problem, but once you know what it is, you're going to have to turn your eyes away from that and go, God, there's got to be a promise. Lord, I know you can help me. I know I can come through this. And we're beginning to shift our focus, not just from problem, problem, but we're shifting it to the Lord. And that's why the writer of Hebrews told them two times, fix your eyes on Jesus, consider Jesus. See, we got to consider the one who endured such difficulty for us. He did it for us. Man, the cross was brutal. And we don't even know the spiritual impact of taking the sin of the world on himself. But he did it for us. So he's our example. He's our hero. He's the one we want to be like. But he's also the one who's a personal savior. He's also the one who is encouraging us, not discouraging us. If your view of Jesus is that he's sitting back there with his arms crossed looking at you, shaking his head in disappointment, you need another view of the one who loved you enough to give his life for you, that he's the one encouraging you in your race. Kevin Young tells the story of going to a Special Olympics game and watching uh, the, the 400, it was, it was Special Olympics track meet. So they're about to run the 400 meter dash and a man stood up and he began to yell, go Lenny, go Lenny. He said he was decked out in the three-piece suit that's probably in the 1980s. And he's yelling, go Lenny, go Lenny. And Lenny looked up. Lenny was an overweight, middle-aged, Down syndrome young man who just looked perplexed. And he kept wringing his hands and he... He just looked so nervous to be out there. And the man turned around, looked at everyone behind him, and said, that's my son, Lenny. When they, when they fired the gun, everyone took off, but not Lenny. Lenny kept wringing his hands and wringing his hands. But the man is going, go Lenny, go Lenny. Everyone's way ahead of Lenny. and, it, and when, But when Lenny starts rounding the last curve, it's only a one-lap race, he's rounding the last curve. All the other racers had finished. But the, the father was stood up. He was, he was Pumping his fist, going, go, Lenny. You're doing great, son. You're doing great, son. Go. And then the man turned around and said, my son Lenny is about to finish. And they all clapped kind of dutifully. They said they were a little bit embarrassed. He said when Lenny finished the race, the man made his way down to the front. And he grabbed Lenny, who was drooling and exhausted and just looked pitiful, wringing his hands. That father was just holding him and loving him. Kevin Young said when he watched that, he said, he began to weep. He said, "It's just like if, if the Lord was, was saying, he said, you, I can just sense it like the Lord saying to me, son, you're like Lenny in that race. Sometimes you're way behind, you're perplexed and confused, and sometimes you're just pitiful. He said, but son, I want to tell you that I'm the one cheering you on from the stands and that I love you more than that man loves his son. Can I tell you this morning? If you're thinking God's disappointed in me, He, you know, He He thinks I'm just worthless. He thinks I, I'm useless. I got I got news, news. I'm the I'm the trainer telling you no, no. That's not how it is. God believes in you. He believes you can still run your race. He said, it's too late. It's never too late. Get up. Remember who you are and who you belong to and begin to run your race. And he's cheering you on from the stands and we're going to be cheering with you. And one day we'll all get together and we'll talk about how great it was that we had a chance to do something for God. You're in it to win it and you can. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? This morning, if you're here and you say, Alan, I don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord, but I really want one. Or maybe you're, you're thinking, I had a relationship with God. I walked away from him. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. We're going we're to say a prayer today. And this is a prayer that if you've never connected with the Lord, this is your prayer to connect. If you need to reconnect, you know I've been away from him and I want to come back. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front. We're not going to try to embarrass you. But we're going to have an opportunity to pray with you and for you. But I'm going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to you today and you say, Alan, I do want a relationship with the Lord. I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? We're going to do that. I just need you to do one thing. Slip your hand up across the auditorium and say, Alan, that's me you're talking to. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, way in the front, way in the back. Thanks. Anybody else? Just say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. It takes courage to do that. Thank you for doing that. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you did not lift your hand. You wanted to. You, listen, you can still jump in. This is your time and your prayer. We're going to pray it with you out loud. You pray it out loud with us. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Keep your heads bowed just for one more moment. I want to pray. Another prayer, but I want to pray for those who have thought about quitting, thought about giving up, thought about throwing in the towel. Father, thank you. Thank you that you put good stuff in us and your glue is in us. The ability to persevere, the ability to stick. And Father, I pray for those who felt like they can't go on. They can't do this. They, they can't walk with you or they can't continue along the path that's making positive changes in their life. But Father, I thank you that you know different and I know different. And I believe a difference can come. Strengthen them, encourage them. Let a spark of hope rise up in them. There is a reason for persevering. And Lord, we give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.